Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And, and this, this is, is DBT and me. Hey, everyone. Let's do some promotion. Yes. So, just dive in. Just dive in. I know. I'm still getting used to this rhythm, guys. We'll get there. It'll feel natural soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's see. If you want to help to directly support the podcast and us, you can do that on Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash dbt and me. And we are thanking and shouting out two new patrons this Woo-hoo. month. So Greg and Sam, thank you very much. Woo. Thank you, both of you. We appreciate you. You don't make this possible. Uh, another way you can support us is the merch at the Etsy shop. Uh, you can just go to Etsy and search for dbt and me. Give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening to us right now. If you want to get questions answered and show up in future Q&A episodes or just have questions or feedback in general, you can email us dbtandmepodcast at gmail.com. And last but never least, if you want to hear more from us than our once a month DBT and me episodes, you can check out the couch and the chair, which are our non-DBT-focused mental health podcast. Yes. <laughs> We're still on theme, just slightly different <laughs> than usual. Um, and today, the spotlight is going to be firmly planted on Michelle, because I am mostly just along for the ride on this topic, because she has all the training and I don't. So <laughs> today we are talking about radically open DBT, or R-O-D-B-T for short, which, of course... Marsha would approve of because everything is supposed to be acronyms forever. So why say anything fully when you can turn it into an acronym? So yeah, R-O-D-B-T. This is going to be, broadly speaking, for folks who are less emotional rather than Mm -hmm. more emotional. Is how I've understood it as the passing glance that I've had. Michelle has gone through a training on it, but I think I'll let her go from there on. Yeah. What? How far, how well she remembers it, what it was like for her, anything else. And intermittently, I will either be interrupting Michelle because I'm impatient. (laughs) Or I know she's going to give me chances to respond as we're going through. But I'm mostly the dutiful listener today. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to talk for an hour and a hour plus straight without stopping. (laughs) Uh, So I definitely will be pausing at certain points to give Kate a chance to chime in. But yeah, I went through a training for RODBT. This was a while ago. This was, I want to say the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So it's been a little bit since I went through the training, but I wanted to go through it because I had heard about RODBT and because Kate and I have been leading DBT groups for so long. And also with this podcast, over time, we've gotten questions about what is RODBT, and I had no answer for people on what it was. So I figured I would go through a training on it to try to understand a little bit more. Given that, 
I only went through what's called a level one training. I'm actually not Mm. sure how many levels there are to get trained in (laughs) to actually really get to the point where you are ready to lead RODBT groups or to do RODBT with people one-on-one. But mostly the level one training that I went through did a lot of giving an overview of who RODBT is meant for and the general premise of what it is. I did learn some skills and so I'll be having Kate practice some things <laughs> later on in the episode. Um, but it looks like there's three levels, by the way. I just did like the most oh, cursory perfect. of Googling. So don't, don't, I believe it. I'm not swearing on a stack of Bibles, but it looks like there's three. <laughs> okay, thank you. That is very helpful to know. So all of that is to say, I went through this training a little while ago. I tried to log back in because it was a virtual online course training, and I thought I had lifetime access. So when we decided that this would be our topic for the episode this month, I was like, I'm going to log back in and just refresh my memory a little bit. And it turns out the course had expired. So I am truly going off of mostly memory here today. (laughs) And I do also want to make it clear, like Kate was just explaining, yep, if there are three levels as you just researched, Kate, I am very still new to the RODBT world. So I'm going to be going over with you guys what I learned in my level one training and basically just giving a taste of what RODBT is today. So that if this is something that you are curious about or you think would be a good fit for you, we'll have a resource at the end for where you can learn more and find somebody who's proficiently trained in RODBT. But I want to make it clear that I am far, far, far from being any kind of expert on this topic. (laughs) So I'm going to stick to what I was taught and what I learned in my training and not go too in depth with all that's entailed with RODBT. Uh, So the general basics of RODBT, it was created by a guy named Thomas Lynch and he decided to create RODBT because he was trained in DBT, well-versed in it, right? The DBT we all know from Marsha Linehan, the DBT that this podcast is based off of, all the books are based off of, all of that. He was really, really, really well-trained in DBT, but he started to see that there were certain clients that DBT didn't seem to be as good of a fit for. So he started doing some research into like which mental health diagnoses does DBT work really well for and which mental health diagnoses is DBT maybe not the best fit for. Um, Before I go any further, I think it feels important to say, right, Kate and I hold the belief that DBT skills can be helpful and useful for Oh, you know, nearly nearly everybody, depending on your situation and what you're struggling with stress-wise in your life, we hope that something of DBT can be helpful. And I think Thomas Lynch feels that same way. It's not that if you struggle with some of the diagnoses that I'm going to talk about, that DBT is not going to help you. It may, but the stuff that he created for RODBT may be much more helpful. Um, And I'll explain why as we go through. Um, But basically with RODBT, similarly to DBT, you can do individual therapy for RODBT and RODBT groups. And a lot of times, like with DBT, it's recommended that you do both together. 
So it can be offered in both of those ways, the same way that DBT is. It's also divided into modules um, that have similar titles, but the modules go not necessarily in this order. <laughs> um, and when you're doing a full RODBT program, I didn't write this down, but I think it's something like 30 weeks or something like that. And you're gonna be doing all of these different to different topics throughout. So RODBT also focuses on mindfulness. Um, the way that DBT talks about mindfulness though is really noticing right through observing, describing, and participating, noticing what's going on in your environment externally is more what DBT mindfulness focuses on. You can absolutely apply those things internally, but I think DBT really talks about mindfulness in terms of like how can it ground you and center you in the environment that you're in. Whereas RODBT talks about mindfulness as being a way that you can focus more internally about noticing your wants, noticing any like impulses or reactions you're having. That's really more the intention of mindfulness with RODBT. But yeah, talks about mindfulness, talks about interpersonal effectiveness, which really hones in on how to be socially connected with other people. Also talks about emotion regulation, but the idea of emotion regulation is really different with RODBT because it's more about wanting to understand the emotions that you're experiencing and really wanting to focus on being more emotionally expressive. Emotion regulation is like, okay, you're feeling an emotion at like a nine or a 10 and you're expressing that emotion at a nine or a 10. Okay, how, how do we rein that in a little bit? That's more what emotion regulation as we typically think about it is. With an RODBT, it's a little more like, okay, if you're feeling emotions at like a two or a three, how can you maybe actually experience those emotions more? How can you really let yourself feel more of what, what you're feeling? So it's different than DBT, but there is that piece of it. And then also there's a module uh, that's called Radical Openness. So, right, the RO and RODBT, radically open DBT. This is a core concept of what RODBT is all about. And it's different than the concept of radical acceptance. Um, so with radical openness, the idea is that um, we don't see things as they are, but rather as we are. That's a direct quote um, from the RODBT curriculum that I was able to find. So with radical acceptance, it's all about being able to focus on what is. What are the facts of the situation? And we need to accept the situation for what it is. The idea of radical openness is that we all see the world through a unique lens based off of our life experience. And it's getting more comfortable with us understanding the lens that we see the world through and recognizing that everybody has a different point of view um, and being comfortable seeing things as we do and being more subjective than objective. Um, that's really what we're talking about there with the idea of radical openness. So I'll recap that real quick. Um, so basically, RODBT focuses on mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, but it's really like emotional expression, <laughs> and then this concept of radical openness. 
So whatever skill you're learning in RODBT, whatever week you're on out of all of the weeks, you're focusing on one of those four things, basically. Um, so one of the big things that I really want to talk about today that I hope will be most helpful for our listeners is determining whether RODBT is something that you could benefit from and something that could be helpful mm. for you. And this was a big, big, the concept that I'm about to talk about of over control is one of the big things that was talked about in the training that I went through. And a lot of what Thomas Lynch's research focused on was determining who struggles with over control, which is a term that um, he kind of classified people under, right? This umbrella of either you struggle with over control or you struggle with under control. So I want to dive in a little bit to like what is meant by each of those two terms. So under control, if that's what you struggle with, this is what we typically think about for who would be a good fit for DBT as we know it. So diagnostically, right, if we're looking at it through a mental health diagnosis perspective, yep, borderline personality disorder, hands down. Uh, people without diagnosis tend to struggle with under control. I would also say, too, like if you struggle with anxiety and what basically what we're meaning here by under control is a lot of like living in your emotion mind. Basically, you feel something, you think something, you do something like some words here would be like uh, reactive, chaotic, volatile. Right. Like definitely that those words don't apply to everybody. But the same way that Kate and I in the Wise Mind episode, we have sort of these typical words that we think of for either emotion mind or reasonable mind or wise mind. These would be pretty classic words for under control. Reactive, chaotic, volatile, just to review the three that I just said. Um, and somebody who's struggling with under control is going to struggle with emotion regulation. And I feel like this is kind of a very like mental health term, but like poor impulse control, quote unquote, like basically just meaning that, you know, you may be more unlikely to, or more likely, sorry, to turn to what DBT would classify as a problem behavior, more likely to struggle with addiction, more likely to struggle with self-harm, more likely to struggle with gambling or overspending or what whatever it may be. It's going to just be kind of this situation where you want something and you try to get after it. And it's hard to stop yourself and have self-control to slow that down, to basically think before you do. Um, and so DBT works really great for people who struggle with under control because DBT skills focus on the importance of avoiding conflict, right? That's what we talk about with interpersonal effectiveness skills. DBT can talk about how to rein in those impulses and how to work on distress tolerance and all of these things that basically hopefully help somebody who's struggling with under control gain a little more control. That's the purpose of DBT. That's why we have skills like check the facts. That's why we have skills like pros and cons. That's why we have some of these things is to have it be that if under control is something that's an issue for you, you're able to get to this place where you're having a little more control than you maybe would before going through a DBT program. On the flip side of this, 
we have over control. <laughs> so over control is exactly what it sounds like. It's almost having too much self-control. Um, the same way that I gave three kind of classic common words that could be used to describe under control, over control, the words that I picked for this one are being like restrained, really structured, really deliberate or purposeful in what you do. So somebody with over control might struggle with like letting themselves actually have fun, <laughs> um, actually letting themselves really open up to people and let walls down if they have them. Somebody with over control tends to really keep things in, whether it's keeping in things they want to say or keeping in emotional expression and what they feel. People with over control can be a little more closed off. And so when you're struggling with things like this, um, then what, what's needed to be worked on is to become a little more expressive, a little more open, to become a little more flexible with how you might respond to stressful situations. People who struggle with over control could also be called really rigid. Um, Kate and I were thinking about this too, like some of those words we tend to use to describe reason mind. Yeah, if you're a person who lives more in your reason mind, over control is probably something that, that you struggle with. Um, so that's a big thing is making sure that you're being a little more flexible in how you're thinking about things opening up to people more and becoming more socially connected with other people, being able to express and show what you're feeling. If you struggle with over control, those areas are going to be more difficult for you than somebody who, right, lives more in emotion mind. Emotions on the sleeve, right? <laughs> Everything's out in the open. Um, I mentioned too for under control, like Borderline personality disorder, anxiety, really common things. With over control, what Thomas Lynch really studied is with the skills that he developed for RODBT, how do these skills work with people who may be diagnosed with eating disorder, autistic people, people who are struggling with depression, people who are struggling with OCD. Um, the reason why depression is there is because when somebody's struggling with depression, they are probably struggling with some of those things that I named in terms of like, they're being really closed off more often than not. What does depression tell you to do? Get to bed, pull up the covers, don't come out. That's what depression says to do. So it can be really helpful to work on some of the things that RODBT talks about in terms of trying to connect more with other people, trying to be a little more open and that kind of a thing. So that's why depression makes that list of things that he he classified as um, over control. But yeah, eating disorders are a big one and OCD is definitely a big one too in terms of like mental health diagnoses for over control. Uh, so I hope that's making sense so far. I kind of talked a lot about not just going over the different modules, but also giving that general overview of over control and under control, which we're going to keep coming back to. Um, so Kate, that feels like a good point to pause and <laughs> see, <laughs> see what your thoughts are on this so far, lest I keep talking and talking away. That's right, right? Uh, well, so let's see, some of the things I was thinking about, Michelle, is, uh, I don't know how to put this. No, as you said, it's DBT can help people across various and sundry spectrums, right? Like that's not an issue at all. And yet still thinking about your description here, of under control versus over control, I think 
oof, we've definitely had some people in some of our past groups who would have been better fits probably for RODBT than for DBT. And I just didn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I remember when you started. All right. Here you go. This is me admitting my ignorance. I think when you, you started the training for this, I'd never even heard of it, like of RODBT. And I was like, you're getting trained in what? what? <laughs> <laughs> right. I was so confused. And so, um, right. So we didn't know any better. But no, I think this is definitely something it leaves me feeling excited to, you know, potentially get that training like full training down the line so that i can you know kind of sort people into potential groups it'd be kind of fun to have like one dbt group running and one rodbt group running so you could try and like sort people into the mm -hmm. different piles depending on what they'd be best served by and so i was just i was thinking about that um you definitely hit on it but it really spoke to me on this like um you know how under control has all of these words that we're we see typically associated with um, emotion mind, right? Mm -hmm. When we're trying to teach wise mind. The thing that I think is interesting about over control, or how do I want to put that? We've always noticed that there's a bias, right? When we're having people call out words, they're much yeah. more likely to call out quote unquote, you know, negative words around um, emotion mind and positive words for uh, reason mind. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, oh, see, this is, this is just, proving the point we always try and make is there's downsides to reason mind too, yep. right? Like it also can be taken too far, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like we often have to really drill that into people's heads a little bit on emotion mind and reason mind. Uh, like, hey, this is not just shit pile, awesome pile, right? Like that's yeah. <laughs> there's downsides to this too. Right, there's downsides and upsides to both, depending yes. on where you're going with the extremes, right? Um, and so I was just really aware of like, see, <laughs> this proves it. See, this proves it. There really are downsides if you go too far, right, in that direction, right? You're just um, another way of showing that we're rarely served by imbalance, mm -hmm. no matter which direction it, what direction it goes. Which there's a, certainly not only two directions that <laughs> that going, you know, too far can go, but. Um, and then I, oh gosh, see, this is what I get for adding a note in the middle and not being more specific. I was sure I would remember what I was meaning to say. You were talking a lot about, you were, when you were describing what radical openness was specifically, it was uh, like, oh, we don't see things as they are, but rather as we are. You were mm -hmm. saying the, like, um, no one has the truth. Mm, right? Yes, that really and, was what I was getting at. Yeah. And I was like, ah, that's our radical openness is just embodiment of dialectical thinking. Yeah. Right. Like the, that idea that we can't remove our own lens. Mm -hmm. Ergo, no one has absolute truth. So there's a grain of truth somewhere in most things. Right. And so this idea of, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, not that I don't love, well, love to hate, hate to love somewhere in there. Radical acceptance. Because um, <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so useful, but so hard. Uh, <laughs> but like radical openness just sounds like, oh, what a cool way to think about or frame dialectics. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So really it seems true. really in line with the name. That's all. Yeah. Uh, so radical open dialectical behavior therapy is really just dialectical, dialectical. They're just like <laughs> doubling down on the dialectics. Um, yeah, it's very true. 
Yeah, because DBT and RODP, RODBT, God, excuse me. So I'm going to be saying it so many times today. <laughs> right. Beca- because they both can be useful, right, for, as we're just talking about, people who struggle yep. with different things. But it's like dialectics can be really important, especially, right, because DBT was designed for people with BPD. Yep. It's really helpful because if you fall into black and white thinking, we want to remember that there's gray thinking, right? And that this other person's point of view, who you might disagree with, or this other person who you might not really like, their point of view might have some truth to it too, right? So it's really important yeah. for that. But then with people who are struggling with over-control, there can be this tendency to really want to find the correct way. Yeah. And the yep. whole premise of radical openness is reminding you, like, there's not one there's correct not one. way. <laughs> so it the the dialectical idea is really important for both groups of people, definitely. Yep. Um, something came up for me, too, while you were talking, Kate, which is that, you know, when you have expressed an interest in maybe wanting to learn more about RODBT and being curious about it, mm-hmm. one of the things that's talked about in the training that I did is that the group facilitators for RODBT... Yeah. Need to be really comfortable modeling this openness that people with over control struggle with. And when I went through the training, I was actually thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, Kate would be such a perfect <laughs> facilitator for RODBT groups because, like, you don't wear <laughs> shoes, which people might be like, oh, she doesn't wear shoes. Oh, yeah. Right? Because people yeah. with over control tend to really <laughs> focus on what is socially acceptable what are you supposed yep. to do so if you and violate probably like a the judgments norm, of others i imagine right yeah because so, i'm totally walking around getting judged all the time that's real <laughs> that's 100 yeah. true yep. yeah like you would really be able to model the openness and then it kind of got me thinking too about the fact that you know you and i co-facilitate dbt groups let's be yep. honest i struggle with over control i remember yep. going through the rodbt training and be like this is me <laughs> which is maybe why it shed some light on it for me of why yeah. there were some dbt skills that didn't really feel i guess like a struggle for me like it felt like mm-hmm. skills that i was kind of easily able to do like oh i can easily think through pros and cons i can easily yeah. like because <laughs> for somebody who struggles with over control you tend to know I've done that, that. answers in a way but then it's being able to let go of what you know and be open to what you don't know and so I think it just kind of helped me understand why we do make such a good team because you struggle with under control and I struggle with over control and we can each set an example of that like I bring a little more regulation to our (laughs) groups and you bring a little more fun and liveliness and yeah. I mean, that's true with the podcast also. So it's just, it really makes sense when you look at both of these sides of things of like, oh, somebody who struggles with over control needs somebody <laughs> who's a little, who's a little more outside the box and people with under control need an example I, of somebody I've who's got someone in more the reined box. in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what's needed a lot of times. So yeah, no, I like it. You are, you are my, my tether to the box. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I don't go too far afield. Yeah, but they did. They talked about that. I wasn't going to talk about that today much um, in what I'm sharing with the material, but that is a thing that they talked about of like, if you are a DBT group facilitator, you are going to need to lead RODBT groups completely differently. Um, A different persona is a different demeanor. (laughs) 
makes sense. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so the next thing that felt really important to talk about um, with uh, over control is how do, how does this happen? Like what leads to somebody struggling with over control? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that and then we'll spend the last piece of today focusing in on what are some skills or what are some things you can do if you struggle with over control. But why does this happen? What are the ingredients that when you throw them into a bowl and you mix it all up, how do, how do you come out with somebody who struggles with over control compared to somebody who might have a hard time with under control? And the training I went through for RDBT really did a nice job spelling this out. And again, it helped me understand for myself why over control is something that's hard for me. But the first thing that it talks about is that some people, not everybody who struggles with over control, but many people who struggle with over control might just have a brain that's a little more naturally wired to find the negatives. Now, this is extremely adaptive. Our species survived because there were people who, when there was a rustling in the grass, thought it's going to be a wild animal that's about to eat me. I better run versus the people who might have been like, oh, it's just the wind. No big deal. And then if it was a wild animal, those are the people who got eaten. <laughs> so focusing on the negative is not always a bad thing. Of course, it can be when it's taken to an extreme degree or when it's the only place your brain goes to when you have a very hard time finding the positive or seeing the glass is half full. That's where it can become a challenge. But a lot of people, and you'll see this from a really young age with certain kids' temperaments. Some kids, right, they label them uh, slower to warm up. It's kind of the term, right? They, they just, they look before they leap. In new situations, they're a little more cautious. They just take their time a little more with things. You can see from a really young age whether a kid is more over-controlled or under-controlled. And Thomas Lynch did a lot of research about this and find, found a lot of other people who had generally researched this idea of temperament and that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and he sort of thinks of this as like, if you're the type of person who sees the thorns but not the flowers, Rather, somebody who sees the flowers and not the thorns. So that can sometimes be what it is. It's just your brain is more wired that way. It's just a bit more ingrained in who you are and your personality. The other piece of this is growing up in a family or being a part of a cultural group that really value self-control. Um, or being raised in a family where your parents were super critical when you would make a mistake. So especially if we take that first piece there of if your brain just naturally goes that direction and then if you are growing up in a family that goes more in that direction, it's like a double whammy. Some people have one or the other, but some people have both. And that's definitely going to more than likely lead to some over control stuff happening. But for me, it was definitely number two. Um my mom kind of just veers a little more on the critical side of things or like if you have a parent who struggles with over control and that's what you witness so you're seeing these adults in your life go through the world in a more over controlled way that's what you're going to learn how to go through the world like that so 
those things come together and you get over control. But then what happens is you get really two things that happen. And again, for some people, it's one or the other. For some people, it's both. The first thing that can come out of these things is that you might really want to avoid taking risks because you don't want to mess up. You only want to do something if you feel really confident in it. Because if you mess up, if you grew up in a family where that was criticized, of course, criticism doesn't feel good, right? Then you feel shame. Nobody really wants to feel shame. So you just don't do something. If you're like, oh, that's new. That's scary. I don't understand it. I'm just not going to do the thing. So it can look that way. You're just less likely to take risks. The other thing that can come out of this is that when it comes to forming relationships with other people, you're probably not going to be as open and vulnerable. Um, why would you if you're used to people that you grew up with being really critical of you? You don't want to, sh like, we all have, we all have flaws. We are not perfect. But if you've grown up in a family where you've been taught to hide your faults and flaws at all costs, then that's going to make it hard for you to want to open up to other people. Also, if you have that brain that's a little more hardwired to just focus on the negative, connecting with other people is going to be difficult because you are not necessarily going to know or be able to trust that other person easily at first. You might just be worried about this person's going to hurt me, this person isn't going to understand me, and just be really worried that the relationships that you form are going to go south at some point because that's where your brain goes. Your brain might naturally go to, oh, I said something they made a little bit of a weird face. Oh, they're not going to want to be friends with me anymore. Right? Rather than just being like, oh, it was a simple miscommunication. Not a big deal. Person who struggles with over control is going to be like, now this relationship is done. <laughs> now this friendship is over. Um, because of that going to the negative headspace kind of a thing. So, yeah, I'm just going to recap that little section there real quick before we keep going. Um, so, yeah, two things. Having a brain that's kind of more wired negative naturally and growing up in a family where mistakes are something that are pointed out to you and that you're criticized for, those two things come together and then it means you're less likely to be risk-taking and you want to avoid making mistakes, plus having a hard time being vulnerable with other people and having relationships where you open up and trust others. Um... So RODBT really focuses in on targeting those things. And there's really three ways that this is done in RODBT. One thing is that RODBT really focuses on activating what Thomas Lynch calls the social safety system. Kate and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, the idea of, you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system your rest and digest response, making sure you're not in fight, flight, or freeze mode. A lot of people who are prone to over control, they hang out in fight, flight, or freeze a lot. And that's how they make sure that they're, the best way I can think of put it is like keeping control of themselves. But like that's how they're scanning for danger at all times. Um, it's because their senses are always up. Um, what could go wrong? What did I do wrong? 
And so RODBT really works on making sure that you know how to get into a state of being where you're a little more calm and relaxed and open and just think of like deeper breaths, right? <laughs> to where you are feeling safe in situations that might be new for you or situations where you don't know people very well or that kind of a thing. That's really a key thing that RODBT works on. The other thing is getting comfortable with making mistakes. So somebody who struggles with over control, a mistake is something to be feared. This is how I see my over control show up a lot is perfectionism. <laughs> That's the long and short of it, right? You're trying to do things perfectly at all times. You're being critical of yourself a lot the very least inwardly, sometimes outwardly, openly critical of yourself. And so RODBT really tries to show that you can make a mistake and it's not the end of the world. It's okay. Let's actually make mistakes. So in an RODBT program, if somebody makes a mistake, like let's say they didn't do their homework, whereas in a traditional DBT program, that might be something where the facilitator might be like, well, let's talk about what interfered with you doing your homework <laughs> kind of a thing. In an RODBT program, the facilitator might actually praise that and be like, hey, so you didn't do your homework. Okay. You know, as the, as the RODBT participant is probably like, I failed this week. The church is like, no, you didn't. It's okay. So it's okay to make mistakes. And also to just like be, be weird, be funny, be outside the box a little bit. Like Kate and I were just talking about with our different personalities. People honestly who struggle with over control need to practice that. They need to learn that, especially if, as I was saying, they grew up in families where that was not something that happened. If you grew up in a family that was very buttoned up, very polite, very you do the socially expected thing, you do not color outside the lines, that's the type of family that you grew up in, having fun is going to feel super weird. <laughs> like it's, it's going to feel wrong. It's going to feel bad. It's going to be like, I'm not supposed to do that thing. That's not, that's not okay to do. Um, so RODBT helps people get comfortable with that helps people learn to, you know, basically laugh at yourself. Like, okay, I made a mistake, huh, you know, whatever. Or, oh, I said that thing wrong. Okay, you know, just just to be a little more compassionate towards yourself and being outside the box and making mistakes. That's the second thing that RODBT really focuses on with combating over control. And then the third thing is focusing on connecting with other people and forming social connections. And RODBT does this by really talking about the idea of a tribe. So as I was just saying, in, in long ago times, when we were very primitive and living in the wilderness with the exotic animals and trying to make it and all of that, there was danger around us at all times. The only way you could survive was living in a group. If you were trying to survive as a single person, you weren't going to. You needed to be in a tribe. And so you needed to have connections with the people around you. You needed to know that if you were going out to hunt with a group, that you all would have each other's backs. 
that was really important. And now fast forward to 2022, at least here in Western culture, right? We don't live in tribes at all. Many people don't know their neighbors. Many people live alone. And this is normal for the society that we live in now. But people who struggle with over-control sometimes have very few, if any, close social connections. They might not have any friends or the friends they do have might be very surface level friendships where they they don't really open up or they don't let that person get too close to knowing much about them. And so RODBT really talks about how important it is to have deeper social bonds and how to form those social bonds, what it actually takes to make new friends and to open up and to repair ruptures if they happen, which are inevitable in every relationship that lasts any length of time, that there's going to be miscommunications, there's going to be disagreements and conflict at some point, and how to work through that because the person who struggles with over-control tends to beat themselves up about that. Or again, just think that this means the relationship is over. It's not, it's not going to survive. So RODBT really works on that too. So to recap that a little bit, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Kate, because I feel like I should have created more checking points for you along the way with this. I'm talking way more than I thought I would, but that's typical of me. Um, <laughs> but RODBT works on three big things. So making yep. sure that your parasympathetic nervous system is activated and turned on so you're not on high alert at all times, getting comfortable with making mistakes and having fun, and connecting with other people. Those are the three things that RODBT focuses on with combating over control. So yeah, thoughts, thoughts on all of that that I just talked about? <laughs> uh, well, um, this is probably obvious from things you and I have both already said, uh, but just the more we go through this, the more I realize that, uh, yep, DBT was the correct one for me. I was not one of those people put in the wrong group. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I definitely don't need help expressing myself more. Most of the time. Right? There's some targeted things. Like, I could sure use some help at being better at expressing anger. Let's go see the couch in the chair episode about anger. But yeah, no, I just, it, it's, it's just sort of fun to see, you know, how things keep shaking out the way you're talking about it. Um, but also, I just, I thought it was interesting because, I don't know, I... If I had to wager, I'd at first have told you that I was more likely to have more clients that were under controlled, just because I think I tend to attract clients that in many ways have similar uh, personalities to me. Uh, But also, apparently not because, or at least not entirely, um, because I absolutely, some of the things that you were talking about RODBT doing are things that I end up doing with a lot of my clients, especially the work on having it be okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have probably probably somewhere in some Q&A already talked about the fact that I say this a lot to clients. I just don't know when or where. Um, but right, one of my big mantras for people are like, you are going to fuck up. You just are, period depending on how small of a scale thing we want to count as a fuck up, you fuck up every day. I fuck up every day. Every human that is conscious and like doing things (laughs) 
fucks up every day, right? And so it's unavoidable. And so trying to get comfortable with that, right? Trying to lean into a place where it's not, don't make mistakes, but how do I respond when I make a mistake, right? So you're prepared for the inevitability of fucking up because of course you're going to, mm-hmm. being human and all. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was really interesting because I, my goodness, do I do that work with a, an enormous percentage of clients that come through my door. Like, I I adore them. I'm glad that I do the work. You know, the more you do a certain kind of work, you get your, like, lines, right? The stuff that you tend to call back to and know how you like to tackle. But also, man, we we are the, the people who raised the people I see as clients, which I guess crosses a couple of generations, um, sure did not raise people who were comfortable making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, that has not been the emphasis of parenting, apparently. And I think we're all seeing the fallout of that. Um, it's not it's not celebrated um, that, that you make mistakes. And I think it, it ought to be, because as you talked about, right, like, a lot of times you make mistakes because you're taking risks, right? Because you're trying mm-hmm. something new, because you're pushing yourself in some direction or another. Um, and by discouraging... By discouraging mistakes, I think we discourage a lot of personal growth mm-hmm. um, and self-compassion. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> hey, you're going to fuck up. You mm-hmm. are. You just are. Best at best. Maybe you can choose how you fuck up. Maybe. Like what direction you're going to fall off your pedestal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But you're, but it's coming down. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just that that. That especially part of what you were talking about really clicked for me, both like for myself to an extent, but also just how much time I spend in sessions with clients emphasizing that particular point. So mm-hmm. clearly parenting doesn't 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 emphasize that. <laughs> it doesn't a lot of the time. And I, it, it just goes back to what you were saying earlier about how, you know, it's it's a good thing for us leading groups as, as a team that one of us is over-controlled and one of us is under-controlled. But with you talking just now, for your over-controlled clients, you are giving them a gift by being able to be like, here, <laughs> let's lighten up a little bit. And so it's actually a really good thing for your clients who struggle with over-control. And I've yeah. met some of your clients in DBT groups and, and things yep. of that nature. Like, I'd, I know you have a few clients who struggle with this. Uh, probably Absolutely. every therapist has a mixture of clients who struggle with over-control or under-control. But your over-controlled clients, they have you to really help guide them on this. And so I hadn't really thought about this before. But for people who struggle with over-control, get an under-controlled therapist and vice versa if you struggle with under control oh, try to find that, that therapist sense. who's like placid. i don't know what i said placid i mean i love my therapist sure. not that she can't get like rowdy but she's definitely like she brings much down. more serene yes yeah <laughs> right yeah not weigh me down but yeah bring me down a couple of notches on occasion so. yeah it, it helps find that balance opposites attract right same That's same true. thing with therapy opposites can so, attract when it comes to therapists and clients maybe we'd be better therapists for each other than we ever thought michelle maybe <laughs> maybe because no. we know we have different maybe. therapeutic styles but. very 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 <laughs> Very, yeah. very, but all right no i think yeah just I, it's i don't know i just like connecting this to stuff i'm already 
doing so I can kind of see how it plays out. So cool. I think awesome. now we're on to making me do stuff, which I will, by the way, yes. let you know that it wasn't until you were just talking like earlier about the fact that you were going to have me do them all that I realized that that's what this Yes, is. you get to be my guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Let's go. Cool. I, did, of I did not know that. <laughs> I love um, it. Let's do it. I think what I'm going to do, I'm just going to pause after each one and just have you respond to how it felt. Okay. Um, but yeah, I definitely wanted to make sure to include in this episode some practical skills from RODBT. Again, mm-hmm. I have not learned a lot of the RODBT skills, so this is just a taste of what you would be learning if you actually did an RODBT program. But I liked some of these skills, and I wanted to include them in the episode so that you have some practical things to take away after listening to me talk and talk and talk about all this information. (laughs) These are things you can go out and do afterwards. Um, Excellent. So the first thing, um, I'm just going to have, well, I'm going to explain it a little bit, and then I'm going to walk Kate through practicing it. Of course, you guys can't see Kate practicing this because... No we have yet to video record our, our podcast. Yes, yet, we're first. not video recording our podcast at this time. So you're just going to imagine what it might look like to do this. And then at the end, we're going to actually have you guys practice this for closing moments. So no need to practice this now. We're going to walk you guys through that and give you a chance to do it yourselves. But I'm going to walk Kate through it now. So the skill, which admittedly does not have the catchiest name, (laughs) it's called Big Three Plus One. That's the name of the skill. Yeah, super silly. (laughs) It is silly. Uh, Basically, there are three main steps to it. And then there's like a bonus step, which is the plus one. Ironically, you do the bonus step first. Very, very (laughs) weird. Don't understand the name. (laughs) But the whole idea of this skill is it works just like how half smile and willing hands work. It's a bottom up skill. So you're going to change things with your body and then that's hopefully going to change what's going on in your brain. And this skill was really designed going back to what I was saying about how the first, well, not the first necessarily in order, but one of the big things, the first thing that I talked about that RODBT really tries to do is to work on getting people out of fight, flight or freeze Doing Mm. this skill is designed for that. So this is a skill to, yeah, basically signal to your body, I'm calm, I'm relaxed, and I am open. Um, So I'm going to walk you through the skill, and then there's actually a piece of the skill that I'm going to explain right at the end, but I won't explain it right now. So I'm going to walk you through the steps, Kate. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, you're ready. All right. So the first step is to lean back in your chair where you're sitting. Like really, really get comfortable where you are. That's considered the plus one for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. And while you are leaned back, just take a slow, deep breath. And then do a closed mouth smile. So this is similar to a half smile, but just slightly bigger than what a half smile would be without showing any teeth. And now raise up both your eyebrows at the same time and keep them there for as long as you can. Okay, cool. That's good for now. So you're an (laughs) overview. Um, So the, the comment that I'll make real quickly 
Um, so with that last piece about raising the eyebrows, in RODBT, they call it an eyebrow wag, which just makes me think of like <laughs> somebody trying to do like a cheesy pickup line on someone and like raising and lowering their eyebrows really quickly, being like, like, yeah. hubba, hubba. like that kind yes. of thing. That's what it, that is what an eyebrow wag is. That's why you think that, because that's what right. it is. That's what it is. Yeah. And the idea behind it, like the same thing we say with especially half smile is if you are half smiling for a while and it starts to get tiring. You can, of course, lower your eyebrows, and then you might want to raise them back up. Because ideally, you would do this for about 30 seconds to have the desired effect of actually calming your nervous system down somewhat. But I did not know this before going through RODBT, because I thought that we just had eyebrows, like the purpose behind having eyebrows as a whole, was just to, like, keep shit out of our eyes, basically, like keep debris and stuff yeah, away. and sweat, right? But... But actually, the bigger reason is it is a social signaling thing. Like, eyebrows really tell us a lot about what a person is feeling. Yeah, I mean, like I knew that, but I didn't know that's angry. why that was their purpose, but that's yep. cool. Or whether somebody is surprised or scared. Yep. Yeah. Or, like, impressed or, or whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Our eyebrows actually do a lot to convey what we're feeling to other people. And so the idea behind this of raising your eyebrows is that when our eyebrows are raised, that signals to our brain, oh, we're a little more, like, open. Like, a lot of times when you're in a good mood or you mm. meet somebody new for the first time, um who right, you like, you're getting along with, your eyebrows are more likely to be raised. If you meet somebody and you're like, I don't really like this person very much, your eyebrows are more likely to be like lowered and yeah. scrunched a little bit. So it was something I had never thought of before going through the RODBT training. But that's funny. Eyebrows well, say a lot like, about what we're feeling. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought, though, if I were laying a bet that raising my eyebrows would activate the parasympathetic nervous system so that surprises me a little mm-hmm. bit right that it's there for soothing because for what well, i mean i guess it's not freaking out but the only thing it makes me do trying to keep my eyebrows up the whole time is it just makes me giggle like i don't know how i would do that for 30 seconds without but laughing that's part of it is that it's yeah. supposed to like i mean parasympathetic nervous system like when we are in like rest and digest it can look very calm but i think it can also look like oh yeah i i'm having fun now right like i'm calm enough yeah. to laugh and like enjoy myself yeah. or to that kind of a thing so the fact that as you're doing this if you're wanting to laugh at yourself that yes. means it's working that excellent okay then it worked working. great because i was like i don't know how to focus on this many things on my face at once like so i was uh-huh. like because when i smile i naturally show my teeth right so like trying not to show my teeth but keep a bigger smile but also keep my eyebrows up and i'm like this is a ridiculous face and mm-hmm. I can't, I keep going between smiling or my eyebrows up because apparently <laughs> concentrating on both is too much. Uh, so anyway, it cracked me up, uh, which I suppose, as you said, is it's doing its job. So mm-hmm. on with the next one, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad it worked. Um, okay. So the next one is that in RODBT groups, because one of the purposes, like we talked about, uh, is to be comfortable making mistakes and to be comfortable going outside the box and doing things that you might not typically socially do and seeing that it's okay to do that. It's okay to be a little ridiculous sometimes. It's okay to be a little bit weird. Is that in groups, the facilitators will do what's called participate without planning moments. So more or less in the middle of group, 
They will ask people to do something that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and the idea is that all of the participants are supposed to do it. And it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel uncomfortable. That's the point of it is to get you outside of your comfort zone because People with over-control very, very, very much want to stay in their comfort zone. So I thought I would do one of these with you, Kate, which again might be a little weird since we are in podcast format and people can't see you. But one of the participate without planning moments that RODBT does is encouraging people to throw a tantrum or pout about something. (laughs) So (laughs) I would like you... To throw a tantrum in your own way about anything. And just really let yourself go. Anything. Oh, God. That means I have to pick a thing. Okay, hang on. I don't even want to plan that much, but I have to, like, pick a problem. Um, okay. I don't want to do the laundry, Michelle! I hate laundry. There's never done. Laundry is never, ever, 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 ever done. Because I'm generally clothed. And even if I'm naked, you can't wash it all at once. So probably before there's more, there's more. It's never done. Ever. Ever. Ever, 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 ever done. Like, you can be ostensibly done with dishes. Briefly. Maggie could maybe do them all between meals. And you have this glorious moment where they're done. But laundry is never done. And I hate it a lot. Does that count? Yay! Good job. (laughs) That was great. I am super authentic. Fuck laundry. But, because it's never, anyway. See, it's never done. I feel that. That is is the heart of Kate. Also, because then you have to do more. It's clean, and then you have to fold it or hang it up. And anyway. And while you're doing that, you throw your dirty clothes on the floor because you can't put them in the laundry hamper on the clean clothes. And it's just, mm-hmm. just the worst thing. I hate yeah. it. It's the worst adulting. I mean, it's not actually, but it's bad. It's up there. Nice. With opening mail. Oh, I love opening mail. <laughs> I hate opening mail. That's a problem. Anyway, all right. So there you go. I felt like I ought to make you do that because I think you'd have a hard time. Well, yeah. For people who struggle with over control, doing that is a lot harder. Um... I yeah. sing full throat to songs I'm listening to in my headphones in the middle of public parking lots, though. So it's probably harder to get the desired <laughs> impact on me. But you did it. You um, did do it. And it was fun. Good. Good. Awesome. Because, like, the whole the whole premise of this participate without planning moments, I think really this one, to super hone in on it, this idea of yeah. throwing a tantrum, is that... Think about when we are young children mm-hmm. and we're going through the world and we are just constantly saying or doing whatever we think and feel. That's why we have that expression of, you know, out of the mouths of babes, because kids just say what they're thinking. They don't, they don't think, right? The, a three-year-old does not think, oh, I am in public. People will not like it if I start to scream. A three-year-old does not care. A three-year-old just like, I want that right (laughs) and the idea behind this is that it gives you just this moment in time to not be so restrained to be in a way like a little kid again and there's something very freeing about that absolutely yeah Yeah. um very freeing about just like letting it all go for a minute (laughs) and just being 
<clears throat> excuse me, I got something in my throat, being a little more unfiltered. Yeah, no, no, I was just, and it felt good, and I enjoyed it, and I've, I, I, I've, I'm a big fan of, like, hitting things with pillows, throwing mm -hmm. bedding, stuff like that, that's, that's great, but I was just, I was, once again, I suspect we'll just keep honing in on this until we stop talking about the whole concept of RODBT, is like, aw, it's too bad I wasn't the one that went through the training, and you were the one who didn't have any idea, because <laughs> you'd be able to give a much better, like, I don't know, your hot take on what it feels like to practice these skills is probably more outside on my brand. Zone. Yeah, uh -huh. no, yeah, that's right, right? Like, like I, I'm gonna be like, yep, did the thing, you know, in a way that's, you know, because I'm not the person they're aimed at. Yep. Uh, so just another moment of like, oh, maybe someday I'll get to make Michelle throw a tantrum. Yes, which I did do during some group work that I've done. That was actually yeah. a very common thing we would have to do is throw tantrums. Nice. So I have had I like the experience, it. and it is very, very freeing. Highly recommend. Um, okay, so only one more thing I'm going to have you practice, Kate. So okay. we have looked at doing something that activates right, the social safety system, your parasympathetic nervous system done something that's meant for helping people get comfortable with making mistakes or being silly, having fun. So now we're going to focus on something that's about the social bonds. Hmm. Um, so basically to do this, one of the things that RODBT really talks about in groups is having people share what their first impressions are with different things that can happen in social situations. Ah, and okay. Because most people struggle with that idea that we were talking about of you see the thorns and not the roses. Typically, mm -hmm. most people who struggle with over control have a tendency. Again, if somebody, you know, we talk about this sometimes we check the facts where we're like, OK, let's say you're walking into work and you see a coworker and you say hi, so and so. And they don't say hi back to you. What mm -hmm. goes through your mind? Um. And a person who struggles with over-control might think to themselves, well, I, I must have done something wrong. Maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe I did something yesterday that bothered them. <laughs> or, you know, maybe they just don't, don't want to say, don't want to say hi to me because, yeah, whatever, whatever reason. They're more likely to think it's something like personally wrong that they did. Mm -hmm. um, people with under-control I mean, this can go so many different ways, but broadly speaking, people who are more on the under-controlled side of things might think that it's something more within that person, right? Um, in the sense of like, well, they just must be- Fuck like, you. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, screw you for not saying I'm angry. Like, yeah, that, that kind of an idea. But miscommunications happen all the time, every single day, in all kinds of social settings and all kinds of relationships where- we miss a cue from somebody or they do something that we take in a more negative light, even if it wasn't intended that way. So um, I'm going to ask about some things there. And the other thing that I want to say around this is because a lot of times with people um, who are on the over-controlled side of things, they are more likely to struggle with shame. Um, I mentioned that briefly earlier, more likely to, again, think like I did something wrong. That's why this other person is not responding positively to me. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of talk about shame. How embarrassment is different from shame. Um, 
in RODBT and talking about the difference between shame and guilt and, and all of these things. Because if your tendency with over control is to immediately think, I am bad, I am wrong, it's, it's, it's all on me. RODBT really looks to like make that thinking a little bit more flexible to be like, okay, rather than this being the worst moment of your life that you did this thing in public that other people saw, you know, does that really need to lead to shame or is it okay for that to just lead to embarrassment? Embarrassment is much more short term. Oh, I didn't feel very good in that moment. Oh, that felt uncomfortable, but it's nothing wrong with me. Shame is something much deeper and harder to shake, but that's where a lot of people go. So that's all a preamble to say that I'm going to just ask you some questions mm -hmm. and to share um, how you would interpret that. But also I would say too, if you are aware that say some over-controlled clients or over-controlled people in your life, you can also share if you want to, how you think they might answer that or common answers you might expect them to say to mm -hmm. this question um mm -hmm. but yeah just kind of first thing that comes to mind for how you would interpret these social things okay so um what if um you are talking to somebody and mm -hmm. they are not looking at you what would you think uh so the first thing i would think is probably that they are like me and they're someone who has a hard time focusing, right? If they're not fidgeting or engaged in some minor way with something else, like that they might even be paying more attention to me if they're allowed to be, you know, engaging in whatever they're engaging in while they're doing it. Um, I think somebody less like me might think, uh, for instance, that they're being boring, right? That the That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, I must be, uh, yeah, I must be being boring. I must be boring them. They're not interested in what I have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, some version of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Which um, is probably means I've given that impression to a lot of people, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's not what I meant. Yeah. It's not what I mean. <laughs> uh, what if you smile at somebody and they don't smile back at you? Ooh, that's going to be real context dependent. Um, and I think it scales. If it's a stranger, I'm way more likely to be like, oh, somebody must be having a rough day, right? Mm -hmm. Like about the other person. And if it's a really it closer or intimate relationship, I am actually more likely to go down the fuck. Did I do something right? Like mm -hmm. are they unhappy with me in some way? So I think it. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna vary super wildly for me depending on the context. So I can see it going the whole gambit from you know essentially well screw them to oh shit right um, mm -hmm. and anywhere mm -hmm. in between really. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to think of for me like I'm imagining myself in a situation where yeah if I'm smiling at somebody and they're not smiling back i i think like part of me would wonder like okay they might just be having like a really bad day kind of a thing but i yep. think another part of me would feel like especially if it's a stranger like i imagine like there's this uh trail to walk near my house and so i try to say uh, hi yeah. to people like when i yeah. pass them on the trail. like i try yep. to smile and be like oh hello you know that kind of a thing and i think also there would be this part of me that if somebody didn't smile back at me or did say hello to me i think I would also think to myself, oh, maybe I should be keeping a little more to myself or like maybe I'm, I don't know, overstepping, <laughs> even though it's such a simple, like kind human thing 
to do? Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be engaging with I totally them get I do the same thing and I get in my head at least, on my response is super snarky when people like don't respond to that. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like <laughs> well there you go, that's me. I that is one where I'm super definitely, yeah, externally focused. Like, Jesus Christ, just say hi. I'm not trying to like sell you on a new pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. I would probably be like, okay, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have said hi. That's where my brain would go. But again, that's all right. control. Right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay, last one here. We're going to think about this in pre-COVID times. Before we were living in a global pandemic where this was a thing we were discouraged from doing. Um, What if somebody refused to shake your hand? Like, you stick out your hand to them and they refuse to shake your hand. Uh, Like, my first thought is just, like, even just asking that, I'm like, it's just sort of, like, confusion. Like, I sort of suspect that if someone is going to refuse to shake my hand, I would already be expecting that response. Like, I think I'm like, is this like some bigot that I already know hates me and that's why they're not going to do it? Is it someone where I'm like trying to be the, I'm being the quote unquote better man and trying to end an argument, but they're still in the fuck you stage? Like, I don't know. I feel like most of the times where I can imagine that happening, I'd already kind of expect the outcome. Which is weird, like but otherwise, I, yeah, exactly. It'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what I thought, fucker. You know, I don't know. See, but again, see how externally focused I am. I'm definitely not feeling rejected. <laughs> I'm feeling confused, maybe angry, possibly insulted, or I think I like, feel like, way hard. Uh-huh. Do you? Oh yeah, no. Yeah, like I, for I, me a little bit. Like if I'm meeting someone for the first time and I like go to shake their hand and they like I don't know don't want to shake my hand back or something. I think I would just be like way more guarded around them in the future. For some reason, I can't even oh, sure. really, like, pinpoint why. But it also depends on how they with. explained it, right? Like I've had people yeah. who, you know, I assume that there were always people who weren't huggers. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever experienced someone who was a don't touch me at all. But I have a, speaking of, there you go, speaking of clients, I have a client who has a real aversion to any kind of touch mm-hmm. at all, period, under any circumstances. Yeah. End of sentence. Right. And so they would absolutely not offer to shake hands back. But I think they'd probably just say, like, I don't, you know, I'm not really comfortable with touch. They would probably so communicate. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that, I think I'm trying to imagine a place where someone doesn't give me an explanation. Because mm-hmm. I think most people would. Because they yeah. know it's socially normal to offer your hand back. So I think most people mm-hmm. would give an explanation. But yeah, if they didn't, I, I would be more likely, I think, to go to the like. <laughs> <laughs> okay right like kind of place not that i don't have a real fear of rejection but i think it's just harder to trigger mm-hmm. right yeah. like i i have certainly felt the fear of it in like nauseating acid like awfulness in your stomach but as eh, some stranger not offering their hand back gets much more of a you know screw you Mm-hmm. <laughs> buddy response from me so yeah there you go but i can understand your idea of being on, on guard right that like uh I don't know about mm-hmm. you. Yep. Yeah. That's how I would feel. Yeah. All right. I guess overall, I mean, you kind of shared your thoughts along the way, but what, what was it like to, I don't, I don't know, I guess whether it was just about practicing some of those things, like mm-hmm. any other final thoughts on that part, or just because a lot of this is really new to you, what, what might you be taking away in general or what's going to stick with you yeah. from the episode entirely? I mean, so one of them is just, I don't know, I've, you know, we all, throughout school, I think you remember, right, we're given a lot of different ways we can sort of broadly classify people. Um, 
And I don't know, I appreciate having the new lens of that sort of over-controlled, under-controlled. That's not a way that, that's not a, a lens I've had to apply to folks. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So I'll definitely take that away as like a tool, I guess, in a way of like kind of sorting clients to maybe have a guess of what kind of interventions are going to work better for mm-hmm. them. Because um, I certainly, you know, I'm certainly familiar with like internal and external locus of control. Right. And that's a way I already mm. sort of sort people. Um, and I don't think this is the same, but it's another lens. Right. It's another way to to view folks that I think could be helpful for. Yeah. Planning different kinds of interventions. Um, mm-hmm. Entertainingly, I have one client on my caseload where I feel very consistent. Apparently, I suggested that he go through RODBT several months ago. And then recently, because we were doing this episode again, I was reminded of like, you know, have I suggested RODBT? Because I think it'd be a really good match for you. It's like, yeah. So I was like, oh. Uh, at least I agree with myself. Um, and so I still think I have, I do have some clients, I think, on my caseload right now that would specifically um, benefit from going through an RODBT program. Um, so yeah, one is just like a tool, right? That sort of way of, of, of sorting folks, um, I think will be really helpful. Um, I think it's always a good reminder. I don't know, a good thing to be reminded of, perhaps, that my brain is not, not, I don't want to put it, not like, I'm so special. My brain's not standard issue. But like, remember that not all brains function alike. And, you know, and so like, oh, right. These things that Mm -hmm. I have no problem with whatsoever are things that mortify other people and Mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, and just that it's good to consistently be reminded of like, right, while projection may be the first line of how humans understand each other, it's really necessary that it not be the last. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if I just go around projecting my own shit on, uh, well, shit, doesn't have to be shit, uh, my own anything uh, on other people, I'm going to be right sometimes mm-hmm. and probably wrong more often than not. Um, mm-hmm. Because we're all, we're all special, unique snowflakes. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's see if there was anything else. I'm just scrolling back up through the notes real quick. Um, well, first of all, I'm super impressed at how much you did over mostly memory, by the way. I don't know that I can design a little training there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think probably I've, I've shared as we went along most of the things, but, um, yeah, I just like it as a, even though I don't have the whole thing as a tool, I think it still gave me some stuff to walk away with as a as a clinician which is a lot so yeah great yeah that's awesome and yeah i think just that reminder because i i know that i have thought this through much of my life with being an overcontrolled individual that i thought so many people functioned this way a lot of my friends like right my my parents overcontrolled had a lot of friends who veered a little more on the over-control side. It wasn't until high school, actually, where I met some more under-controlled people. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> what is this? Wait, what? You didn't study for the test? Like, you know, or what? You're going to do what? At oh, what time of night? Like, that kind I of bet thing. you did drafts of your papers, didn't you? Oh. Of course, right? Like I, I have literally never done drafts or papers except for times where the assignment told me I had to turn in drafts as I went. I've never done drafts, ever. Yeah. One and done. That's it. <laughs> Generally in the hours <laughs> very close to when it is due. That's mm-hmm. how I've always written papers. Yeah, no. Yep. I love I love our balance. 
Exactly. I'm reminded right? of that through we're this. We're different people. The other thing that I didn't mention about Thomas Lynch, who created this, um, he shared this in the training, that he is an under-controlled human. So yeah. how interesting that somebody who struggles yeah. with under-control created this. But, like, of course they did. Like, yeah. he he would know what do over-controlled people need to be a little yeah. more balanced. If you're having an over-controlled person try to then help other over-controlled people. <laughs> like, you you really do need that opposite. I think that's what I'm taking away from today is that um, it's so important to just try to see that that opposite side. See? So we'll yeah. just, if we ever both get fully trained in this, it'll be great because we'll still be able to bring that balance to leading mm-hmm. groups together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With all the over-controlled clients we have, I'm going to be like, I yep. see you all. I understand you. <laughs> and it's going to be like, now be a little more like Here's Kate. Kate. <laughs> Channel your inner Kate. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Well, I'm um, super excited. Oh, I know you have a resource to share, but uh, so I'm yeah. jumping the gun. But I'm excited uh, to be able to listen to you do a closing moment. It's a yes, rare rehearsal. I'm, I'm enjoying I'm excited about it. Yeah. We thought it would make sense for me to do the closing moment today. And before we get there, I wanted to share a resource. If you got something out of this today that led you to think to yourself, hey, I might want to get more into RODBT. I want to find a group. I want to find an individual therapist. The website you can go to, I mean, you can just search for right on Google, like RODBT therapist near me, see what comes up. Disclaimer, it is way harder to find an RODBT therapist than a DBT therapist. This is not as widely known Therapists are not as widely trained on this, so maybe a bit harder to find, but the website that you can go to, so this is the website for RODBT, uh, it's radicallyopen.net, and then you can click um, find a therapist when you're there or go to radicallyopen.net slash find hyphen a hyphen therapist. <laughs> uh, so that's where you can find a list of therapist who practice RODBT if you're wanting to dive into this. And I mentioned at the beginning, but I think it's worth saying again, if you've realized after this episode, God, I really struggle with over control. Don't give up on DBT, right? There are things from DBT that may still be helpful for you. Just know that there's also stuff from RODBT that will likely be really helpful for you <laughs> that you can research and dive into a little bit more as well. But no, it's not It's not a situation where you need to give up on DBT entirely just because you struggle with over-control. Um, I've gotten so much from DBT. So there are definitely benefits there for the over-controlled folks too, but definitely the under-controlled. <laughs> okay, uh, I guess let's move into closing moment then all right so it might be a bit of a shorter one today but here we go all right so wherever you are whatever you're doing just try if you can to take a moment to pause even if you cannot literally pause what you might be doing like if you're driving for example just at least see if you can Bring your mind to a pausing moment for now. Seeing if you can clear your brain of all other thoughts. 
to just do this simple practice that we talked about earlier. So if you have the means to sit somewhere, now would be the time to do so. And if you can, just lean back where you're sitting and let yourself get really comfy. This leaning back already starts to signal to our brain that we don't need to be on guard. We can let down our defenses by having a more open posture. And now as you're leaning back, just take a slow, deep breath, trying to make your exhale longer than your inhale. And once you're done with your exhalation, bring your lips into a closed mouth smile. If you're familiar with half smiling, try to make this smile ever so slightly bigger than what a half smile is while still keeping your mouth closed. And the last step is to raise your eyebrows. Just notice how it feels to be leaning back, smiling with this open, interested expression on your face. Perhaps like Kate, you might notice an urge to laugh find it a little bit funny. That's a completely natural response to doing this exercise. And that's a great response to have if that's coming up for you. Also notice if you might have any self-judgments arising, any critical thoughts going on in your mind. See if you can just let those go. And perhaps while you're here, just taking one more deep breath. And then starting to move your body a little bit. Maybe even shaking your hands or your feet, your arms or your legs. And then if you did have your eyes closed, opening them to come back to the room, letting go of your raised eyebrows and your closed mouth smile. Okay, thanks for being here everybody. And listening to some info about RODBT today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, every good. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.